morning. So great to be here. Um, my family's here in the back corner, and uh, I'm Mexican, and so there's like 18 of them. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm glad you guys are here. I love you. Um, like Ed said, we're going to be carrying on the I Am series, um, the statements of Jesus made throughout the Gospel of John. There's seven, and this morning I'm going to be talking on the passage where Jesus says, I am the gate. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. And as I was prepping for this, I was reminded of um, an experience I had at Disneyland a couple weeks ago. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Ashley and I, Ashley, my wife, and I went to Disneyland with my family. It was, it's been about 10 years since I last went to Disneyland, and I had never been to California Adventure so I was excited for two things. The first one was Star Tours at Disneyland, and the second one was Micheladas at California Adventure. Um, and so we had the ideal day in mind. We woke up early on a Monday, drove down to Anaheim, parked the car, and this is where the reality of Disneyland sets in. We ended up parking the car and having to walk a mile and a half to the entrance of the park. And as we're walking down Harbor Boulevard, we literally turn a corner and there's a sea of people just covering this like huge parking lot area. So many people, we couldn't even see the entrance to the park. Um, and we're standing in line with this group of people and we end up waiting an hour and a half to get past security. This is happening on a Monday morning. Um, and so get past security, um, and we come up to the gates of Disneyland, and all of a sudden I was flooded with uh, just like this nostalgia. Um, I remembered going to Disneyland as a kid in my Woody costume, because Toy Story is my favorite Pixar movie, Pixar Disney movie, and so I would, go to Dis I would go to Disneyland, and my parents would dress me up as Woody. Um, and I remember the excitement for my favorite rides like Space Mountain and Indiana Jones, and I remembered having a sense of expectancy for meeting characters like Buzz and Goofy. And waiting at the gates brought back so many memories, brought back feelings and ideas that I didn't have before at all. And what I noticed was that gates leave impressions. Seeing a gate or a door can bring up feelings of excitement or anxiety. Ashley and I have a dog. Um, his name is Baby Puppy. She can explain that later. Um, but actually, I have a picture of him to show you guys. This is his headshot. <laughs> Baby Puppy. He's perfect. Um, but I find that this is true even for BP. You see, when it's time for Baby Puppy to get a haircut, which it's time we're taking him on Monday, um, we show up to the groomer, and at, at the entrance, I notice that BP's heart races, and his muscles tense up, and he does everything he can to keep from going inside the groomers. On the other hand, when we visit my mom's house, as soon as we open the car door, BP sprints from the car and runs up to the door in excitement. You see, gates leave impressions on us and even on animals like baby puppy and sheep, which is why Jesus uses this image. Um, John 10, it says, John 10, 7 says, 
Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This scene takes place around the time Israel was celebrating Hanukkah. And it was basically a festival when the people remembered how how they took back the temple from Israel's oppressive leaders during the intertestamental period. Um, The Greeks had occupied that part of the world and they influenced Israel's religious leaders, which caused them eventually to compromise. And so the people under this intense, um, under this intense oppression, they revolted and they took back the temple and they rededicated it to Yahweh. And this was the season when people would reflect on the condition of their leadership. And this is a backdrop for two of Jesus's I am statements. I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. And Jesus is using this cultural backdrop to highlight two things. The first thing is the current failure of Israel's leadership. And the second thing is um, how Jesus is himself the true leader of Israel. Um, And so throughout the Bible, we have the image of a gate. And what gates represented was an entryway into something. See, gates symbolized entrance into a particular realm. And in this case, the realm of abundant life summed up in Jesus's promise of safety and provision. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Um, I like the message translation a little bit more. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be cared for. And that word saved, in the original Greek, it means to save, to rescue. And there's a sense of being safely within the confines of the shepherd's protection, not just the confines of a shelter. In in Exodus, we read of the first I am. And the first I am statement was followed by the rescue of a nation. And now Jesus shows up on the scene and in his I am statements, his I am statements were followed by the rescue of the world. See, it's a rescue into a place of security and safety. And Jesus is our security. But the reality is not many get this impression of Jesus. See, because throughout history, we've been shown a portrait of Jesus that is maybe fragile and helpless or angry and violent, anything but safe. Our skepticism is valid. We've seen and heard of many sketchy things that in one way or another involve a portrait of Jesus, but I wanna suggest that these that come to mind are simply like Snapchat filters on the real Jesus, which just picture that in your head. Um, You see, the real Jesus who's been misrepresented and hijacked for selfish interests. Most of the confrontations involving Jesus in the Gospels actually have to do with this very thing. God being misrepresented to the people. But Jesus came to show people how God really feels. 
is the one who loves deeply, is compassionate, is just and gentle. And Jesus shows people how God acts. See, he heals people who are sick. He sets the oppressed free from bondage. He raises up the lowly and he fills the spiritually exhausted. He brings in those that are exposed and without a place into the confines of safety and care. Ashley and I just moved into a new apartment. Um, we were living in Lincoln Heights, if you know where that's at, but now we're, we just moved to Highland Park, which is like just up the street. Um, it's a little bigger than our old place, but it's got this long hallway that BP loves to run down. Um, he kind of does this, it's also hardwood floor, so he does like the Scooby-Doo run, you know, where he runs in place for a second and then he just takes off. Um, but we, have, we also have a private door that leads to the back parking lot. And we have a little gate set up for BP that keeps them inside the house, you know, while still enjoying like the sunshine and the cool air. Um, but we have this gate set up to make sure that BP isn't going to run out into the parking lot. See, inside the house, BP can run and choose toys, and when he gets hungry, we'll feed him, or when he gets thirsty, we'll give him something to drink. But if he's outside, on the other hand, he would be exposed and vulnerable. I don't know, maybe you feel like this. See, in Jesus, we can experience a genuine safety and security in his care. All it takes is coming to him openly. Jesus desires to bring you and I into his care where we can take in his goodness, his love, and know that he's our rescue. But we're not always aware of God rescuing us. Typically, we notice when we look back in hindsight, there's times when I look back and I think, man, God really came through for me there. Or when I look back and think, God spared me from this relationship or this job or this situation. But I understand that that may not be the experience that all of us have. See, some of us, cause a, some of us have experienced things that cause us to question whether Jesus really is safe whether Jesus really is our security. But on this side of life, we experience destructive things. However, it won't carry over because Jesus defeated once and for all anything that aims to bring us to ruin. But Jesus does want to rescue us from the pain from those difficult moments. You see, healing and restoring is all part of the safety Jesus brings us into in him. See, we're, we're safe in Jesus, not because, we, not because we're in his shelter or in his church. We're safe because in him, in his presence, we can experience hope and healing and restoration and freedom from things that have become, um, things that have uh, oppressed us in, in, in some sort. See, Jesus is the entry into safety. And the next thing Jesus says is, they will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. We have to keep in mind the region they lived in. See, this was the desert. It was desolate. It was dangerous. Water was very scarce. This is the Middle East. 
Um, and pastures were essential for livestock. They were sources of food and water and shade from the sun. It's kind of like Palm Springs, you know, just like middle of June, just like very harsh um, until you, you know, get into a pool somewhere and maybe have a margarita. Um, anyways, Jesus is promising, I love this because Jesus is promising that in this harsh environment, in this harsh desert-like environment, you and I can find sustenance. And I'll preface this next part by saying, um, I'm not looking for anyone to offer me a job. I'm just, I'm going to share a story about how even in the midst of my job, this aspect of Jesus has been real for me. Um, but I graduated in 2016, so not that long ago, with a BA in biblical studies. I like to say BA and BS. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I thought I would immediately find work in my field. I applied to several places, but everything fell through. So I thought I'll do something I enjoy in the meantime. And I began working in downtown, just making coffee and um, just kind of exploring that world, which has been so fun. I met a lot of great people and um, have had so much fun in my workplace, but there's always been this sense of dissatisfaction. See, not that that work is insignificant or shameful, it's just that lately I've just been feeling like I'm ready to step into a role that I feel my education prepared me for. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been in and out of this pit of just restlessness and frustration. Kind of, you, when you're kind of just waiting for the next thing to come along. Um, and that's been hard. I've vented a lot to Ashley. And uh, there's been some tears. And I know this may sound kind of lame, but, and it's mild compared to what so many other people are experiencing. But it is real for me. And as I was studying for this talk, I was reminded that my sustenance is in Jesus. That he is the source of my well-being. It's not my occupation. Because that can change. And who knows, the next thing might be an even more terrible job. Um, but praying that that's not the case. But Jesus has to be our sustenance. He has to be the source of our well-being. See, because occupations and all those things, that can change, but Jesus remains the same. He becomes our sustenance as we lean on him more and more in the easy moments and in the difficult ones. You see, in him we find pasture in the harshest of environments. And I find that sustenance is a key to longevity. If we want to go far in this life, we need to ask, what is the source of my well-being? Jesus then goes on to contrast his role with that of these thieves and robbers, which in his day, these thieves were um, the religious leaders who oppressed the people. They had neglected their responsibility to the people and compromised their relationship with God. And so to Jesus, these leaders robbed people of the life God intended for them, and they represented one thing, oppression. And I think this type of oppression is still around today. It's any power that seeks to oppress people in a, in a political, social, or even religious way. 
You see, these thieves seek to rob people from the life that God intended for them. And I love that Jesus lays out plainly what the intent is. And I, I kind of made, I like lists and like boards and graphs. I'm very visual. And so I hope you are too, because I made this list here. Um, you see, the, the, the thieves and robbers, they steal with self-serving motives. While Jesus is set on rescuing and protecting, these thieves come to kill, or actually the, the better word in the Greek is to slaughter. And Jesus is set on bringing us into the provision of a pasture and the freedom to just kind of sheep in it, I guess, to live in it. Um, the thieves and robbers are set on violently destroying and ruining while Jesus is set on bringing fullness of life. See, on one hand, we have a very selfish motive, which results in oppression, and on the other hand, we have a very selfless motive that results in freedom. See, Jesus is the entryway into freedom. Freedom from all forms of oppression, whether it be social, political, religious. Jesus is set on bringing people into freedom. BBC released an article a few weeks back. Um, you guys are from London, so you guys probably saw this. <laughs> um, I had to like do some digging to find it. Um, but they released an article a few weeks back about the persecution that followers of Jesus are facing in areas across the Middle East and Asia. And the article stated that these persecutions are near genocide level, or near, they're, they're, they're near that level. Um, and for these Christians, it's obvious who the thieves are. For us, on the other hand, I think it could be a little bit more subtle. Not that I want to compare the experiences, um, but I think both of us, followers of Jesus on this part of the world and followers of Jesus on that part of the world, um, are facing thieves and robbers who seek to rob us of the life God intended. But Jesus desires to help us discern those who bring genuine harm. The influences that come to hurt and ruin Jesus doesn't just want to come and help us discern that. Jesus wants to destroy all forms of oppression. See, he's behind the activists on the city streets in major cities seeking justice and freedom. And he's behind those in the pews praying for freedom and from praying for freedom from spiritual bondage and oppression. See, Jesus cares about both the physical aspect and the spiritual. And while these thieves are set on bringing ruin, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The message, the message paraphrase says, real and eternal life more better than they ever dreamed of. And I'm having a hard time, I've had a hard time wrapping my head around this. What exactly does Jesus mean by life, of, life to the full or life abundant? Considering all that followers of Jesus have experienced throughout history, 
See, usually when people commit to follow Jesus, their lives don't appear to become abundant. History tells us that the opposite happens, that they're ridiculed, they're persecuted, and in some places even killed. And it's easy to say, oh, well, Jesus is talking about heaven and just stick our heads in the sand. And... But I don't think that's all that's happening here. See, my parents' divorce in my first semester of Bible college didn't feel like life abundant. News of cancer in my family didn't feel like life abundant. The temptation to do things my way and when BP pees in the house, that does not feel like life abundant. So what exactly does Jesus mean? I think Jesus means something deeper than just a good life. I think Jesus means something deeper than what we've been marketed as the American dream. You see, Jesus came so that we can have a God-infused life, a life infused with with an abundance of God's love and grace and power through his spirit. You see, this is Jesus' kingdom in our midst. We live out the reality of the kingdom when we give ourselves over to a God-infused life. We'll see the broken become whole, the sick become healed, the oppressed become free, and people experiencing transformation in wild ways. I think this is what we're after. And it's not dictated by what we see on the surface. See, the kingdom can be tangible in the harshest of environments. It explains why in difficult moments, we can still experience God's goodness. Jesus isn't intimidated by our circumstances or our long history of bondage and oppression. That doesn't scare Jesus. In fact, he runs towards it full force with the intent to bring life and freedom. Nothing and no one is out of his reach. He can bring an abundant life to anyone, anywhere. And one day in his presence, this will become a reality for all of time. It's what, we're, it's what we hope for and it's why we hold on. See, Jesus wants to inject his love into our lives, not in a limited measure, not just like, there you go. There you go, just like little droplets. Now, what I imagine Jesus doing is turning on a faucet and just letting it run till it overflows. I think this is the intent behind Jesus' love and his mercy and his grace and his power. He wants to, he wants just an overflow of that in our life, in our in our midst. And Jesus also brings us into community so that through the people sitting beside us, we can see and experience more of him. Like Ed said earlier, God doesn't need anything from us. I think what Jesus is after is for us to receive more and more of him. 
See, God is so in love with you. God is so passionately, relentlessly obsessed with you that he wants to meet you each and every second in whatever context you may be in. It could be work, it could be home, it could be some lame job. See, God wants to meet you where you're at in brokenness, in when moments when you're feeling high or when you're feeling low, God wants to meet you where you're at. And God wants to inject just more of his love, more of his peace, more of his power. See, because it is hard out there. And I can't imagine doing this life without Jesus. I can't imagine going through the things that I've gone through without Jesus as my sustenance. See, the reason I'm here today, yes, it is because I've had incredible voices speaking to my life, but I think it's because I've just held on to Jesus, you know? Sometimes when you're going through the thick of it, all you need to do is literally just hold on. And in my holding on, God has been so good. In my holding on, God has been so patient. In my holding on, God has been so powerful. And even when I'm, fo- even when I'm fixated on this thing that's in front of me, God is working behind the scenes. Because that's who he is. It's what he does. God is so passionately in love with you that he has come to give us a God-infused life, the life of the kingdom that he invites us into. And so this passage asks us all sorts of questions. What are our impressions of Jesus? Where do we go for safety? Where do we find freedom? And where... Do we find our life? I want to end with this passage. It's out of Hebrews chapter 4. And um, I think the impression of Jesus that the biblical authors are presenting is one of just openness and availability. See, we've been shown a portrait of Jesus that is very closed off or very standoffish, um, but I think what the Bible's presenting is Jesus that is just open and available. And I think that's perfectly summed up in Hebrews four sixteen. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say so that we may receive judgment. It doesn't say so that we may receive a guilt trip. It doesn't say so that we may receive karma. You know, kind of just this, you you get what you deserve. It doesn't say any of that. It says, this is what we may receive. It's mercy and it's grace to help. And at the end of every service, we pray um, because it's what we should do as a church. But I want to invite you, um, as as the band comes up, what are what are the impressions you're getting of Jesus? 
And is there anything that, that you think you need help for? Because the passage says we can find mercy and grace to help us. So the band is going to sing a song. And I, I want to leave you with those questions for just a moment. And just have an honest conversation with God. Ask him to meet you where you're at. And then after the song, we're going to um, open, open the floor up for, for prayer.